Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to turn the compost heap, put on your record of boxinatas for the chickens, and hang your loofah up to dry. Because it's time to talk tall to me. Hello, I am Omen Said, and I'm Nick McGill, and together we are taking a journey through the annals of Jethro Tull history. One song at a time, one week at a time. In chronological order, we will discuss each song, discuss our feelings about each song, and uh, in general, have a grand old time talking about some Tull. Yes. Omen and I are not experts, per se, but we are enthusiasts. Yes, and we have a, a lifelong friendship based on listening to and discussing the works of Jethro's Hall. I mean, it's not just that, but it's been a lot of it. It's pretty much the only thing that we have going. <laughs> if we didn't have Tull, I don't know, I don't know where we'd be. <laughs> so, um, Nick, what are we talking about this week? This week, we are on track number two. Off of the second album, Stand Up. 1969. And this song is Jeffrey Goes to Leicester Square. Hit it. Our second occurrence of Jeffrey... Jeffrey Hammond Hammond. Jeffrey Hammond Hammond. It's as if Ian Anderson is summoning him. He's like Beetlejuice. He has to sing him a song three times, and then yeah. he's he's summoned into the band. I conjure thee. Yeah. By Rosalind's white thigh. Ooh. <laughs> just just the one white one. <laughs> yeah. So what a fascinating song. Uh, listening to that right after listening to A New Day Yesterday, which really slaps the sauce out of your mama's mouth with rock and roll. Um, this is so gentle. Jeffrey going to Leicester Square is so gentle. It's really, I, I, um, I, I want to, I just want to, as an example, talk about um, the drumming. Yeah. It's like, it's like. It's like a gentle pitter. It's like a little patter. Is it patter drumming? Is it bongo in there? I do think it's some kind of a hand drum. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't have a deft enough drum ear or eardrum <laughs> to distinguish between uh, the different types of hand drums, I think. Yeah. It would be the first, but it won't be the last time we hear bongo on this album for sure. Right. And certainly... That hand drum has has that gentle, almost acoustic, even though it's not. It has that that feel of like semi acoustic that that really. Well, I think it it's technically acoustic, right? Because it's not it's not a it's not amplified. No, I'm saying for the the overall song. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Yes, no, it totally yes. You're right. It it totally goes toward that. Mm-hmm. Um. And the guitar, it's that must be an acoustic guitar. But it's 
No, no, no. It's it, it's an electric guitar, but it's played. It's a strange sound. I I don't. I want to know how they achieved that sound it's, on this. It's got to be a pedal. Right, but it doesn't sound. It's it's not like overdrive electric guitar. Yeah, which means it could actually be an acoustic. That's that's through a, an electric acoustic. Right. That's that's kind of what I was thinking. I wonder. Did they have electric acoustic in '69? Is that a silly oh, question? Sure. No, I don't think that's a silly question, but I think that they did. Okay. I'm wondering who played guitar on that song. Well, who are our options? Ian Anderson or Martin Lancelot Barr. Right. I mean, I'm assuming it would be Martin Barr. Oh, you know, you know what Martin Barr also plays, though, on this track? Additional flute. Hey, nice. Double flutes. There it is. I just thought it was separate tracks. I didn't realize that um, that uh, it was Martin playing the second one. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. It was Martin Lancelot Barr Martin. drawing his flute sword old, for justice. Old ML, MLB. I, I love a juicy MLB. <laughs> um, so let's let's talk about the lyrics of this song. Perfect time to, to mention this. He pronounces it Leicester. That's so strange. Yeah. Walking down Leicester Square every day. And maybe that's that's how you pronounce it. I always thought it was Leicester. So we have now a question for our um, British fans. The UK contingent. Yes, both of you. Uh, we would like for you to, to send a an audio recording in with how you pronounce the square in question. Is it Leicester? Leicester? Lichester? Leicester? Leicester? Like the Leicester bunny? Um, it's I was the on French the two... Easter bunny. Leicester bunny. bunny. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, uh, I was on the tube in, uh, in London once, and I was, I was lost, and I, was, I turned to some gentleman, and I was like, excuse me, does this train go to Southwark? And he looked at me and said, Southwark! <laughs> I was like... Not helpful. Also, I'm sorry that your country has dumb pronunciations. Yeah, this spelling is all over the place. I love it. It's it's like an endless source of fascination for me. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, so let's. I guess for our purposes, we can say least Leicester, 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 Leicester Square. Let's say Leicester. Yeah. And what is Leicester Square? You may ask if you are not um, a a Londoner. Well, I'm glad you asked. Leicester Square is a uh, a public park in London. It was originally named for Leicester House, which was in turn named for the Earl of Leicester. It, it was one of these lands that that was kept by the nobility and had to be every Lammas Day a certain portion of it given over to anyone who wanted to use it as common space to graze their sheep. Or do their laundry. And to to clarify, Leicester, the Earl of Leicester, yeah. that is, in fact, a place name. He's the Earl of that place. It's not a family name. Correct. Yes, Leicester is a county, I want to say, in England. That's That makes a lot of sense, yeah. I'm sorry, I, I interrupted the doing your laundry in Leicester Square. Oh, I think you wouldn't be the only one. Um, so... So then, in the in then it went through various periods of of falling into um, dereliction, falling into disuse, falling into 
That's the word I'm looking for, Nick. Dereliction works. Yes, that. That's what it fell into. And then and then it was, uh, you know, rehabbed several times. And I think in the 60s, by the 60s, it had kind of become like a, a place where you might go to the cinema. There's a famous cinema there, the Odeon. Mm. One of the Odeon cinemas, but it's also it's also in the kind of cultural part of town. Um, it's right. It's one part of it is bordered by the National Portrait Museum uh, and the National Gallery, which are which are fabulous. So, so to me, in a sense, if for those of you listening who know New York City, it feels kind of like a combination of Central Park and Times Square, kind of. I you know I I think it's maybe more like Washington Square Park. Okay. It's a it's smaller. Okay. And it's not so in the thick of it I think. I, I it's a it's a bit more of a grass like a small grassy park that you could maybe go and have a sit down at and then go off and meet your friends. It's the sort of place you might meet up with people. Yeah. But it would but it would attract a diverse crowd. Right. Enter the character in question in the song. Jeffrey? And the bright city woman walking down Leicester Square every day. That's right. So, Nick, what is this song about? What do you get from this? I get two ideas from this. First of all, I this doesn't feel... Um, this doesn't feel like it's from the point of view like our first Jeffrey song was. Um, it very it very well may be, but it doesn't feel that way to me. Well, it's certainly not in character like that one was. Yeah. So the first the first thing this makes me think of is the same thing as the first song we did. A New Day Yesterday. It feels like this is just a, a, a stop on the tour. And mm-hmm. he he's got limited time in, in the area. Um, he's gonna. He sees her walking by every day. He's gonna make the move, and then he's gone. Yeah, I I think there's something to that. I I feel that there's a distinct difference, though. Okay. And that is that in a new day yesterday, I get the impression that this is someone with whom the singer had a relationship. You know, there mm. there was a there was an histoire there, as you might say in French. Um, a history, a story there. And I think that with this one, I, I get the impression that I, I have the feeling of of the singer viewing this other person from a distance. Yeah. From a judge from a safe judgmental dis- distance, which is a very which is like a feeling and a theme that really comes back a lot in Ian Anderson's writing. I think he distantly judges people. I think that's maybe one of his favorite things to do. And um he, you know, it's sort of like a it's like a critique of of this person. And it's interesting that he refers to her as a bright city woman. Let's remember, of course, that Ian Anderson is is uh, grew up in the country. And that's where my second idea comes from, is that it's he's the country mouse. Yeah, he's not the I'm scared of everything that's going on. The loud noise, the bustle country mouse. He's the. I'm superior country mouse. Yes. Do you think that that superiority functions to a certain degree as an armor for his insecurity 
or perhaps desire. Oh, sure. Is this a sour grapes scenario? It could very well be. In a completely theoretical sense in discussing discussing this song, um, the the narrator of the song. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's because I can't acclimate and because you are so comfortable and smooth in this environment, rather than admitting a weakness or defeat, I'll instead dial it up to 11 the other way. Right. It almost seems to me like a preemptive rejection. (laughs) Yeah. I've never spoken to you, but I just want you to know that this is never going to work out. (laughs) And it's not like I would dump you. You would totally dump me. Right. But I win because I'm rejecting you before before, before you I can reject myself. me. <laughs> right. Before I can even give you the opportunity to reject me. Right. Yeah. You may be someone's, but you won't be mine. Yeah. I'll see you in another place another time, though. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, I wonder what that's about. Like, that's the one line that I'm a little confused by. You know what? It, okay, I'm going to I'm going to say something and um, you might you might hate this, but you know what it reminds me of. Now, I'm really intrigued. I want to guess, but I don't, I don't think I'll be able to. It reminds me of a of a of a lyric from uh, another great singer songwriter that we should do a podcast about Taylor Swift. On top of our Nicki Minaj podcast. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, we'll have to do those when we're old. Once they've completed their discography. Okay. We, we only do artists once they've really completed their discography. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, no, but there's that song, there's that Taylor Swift song where she's like talking about like the guy who used to say bad things about her. Is that every song that she's ever written? It, it's just about, but specifically it's like someday I'll be living in a great big city and all you'll ever be is mean you know that thing this this feels it's a very famous song you know you don't know this someday i'll be living in a big old city no oh it's back when she was country is mean country with heavy figure quotations but yes it was before she made the full transition to pop okay but anyway this feels like that to me it's like i feel like ian anderson is in the persona of Jeffrey Hammond Hammond, or maybe it's Jeffrey Hammond Hammond, whoever, the singer, has not become a superstar or has some sort of sense of the otherness about them, and but is aware that their life is is has a, a grand trajectory and is seeing someone who is super fancy and well-spoken and smooth and very comfortable in their environment, like you said, and saying to themselves, you know what? In some other world, once my ship has really come in, I I totally could be competitive to go for someone who right now feels out of my league. But I wouldn't even want her. I would like I would like it better if it was you'll see me in another place in another time. Hmm. I think that would fit the that their their ships crossing in the night and he's on the way up while she's on the way down oh and also i think i think we've just come to the crux of ian anderson's being which is he's just he's just got a a taylor swift in in his heart that's all there is to it (laughs) yes 
Yes. I think we solved it. I think we did. Um, What else can we talk about about this song? I love the lightness to it. Yes. It's getting this album, and granted we're only on song number two, but every... Every song is a stepping stone toward benefit. Ooh. Metaphorically and phys- physically and, and orally. Um, Ooh. <laughs> thematically. Yeah. A U R A L. Oh, I know. Yeah, okay. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Even better. Uh, <laughs> Put it in my ear hole. It's light. It's it's flighty. There's there's still some of that um, underlying Anderson. I don't want to. I don't. I mean. For, I guess, for lack of a better term, bitterness almost, but but not bitterness in the. Or do you mean bitterness in the emotional sense, or do you mean bitterness as in like uh, mustard greens? The 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 former. Oh, <laughs> okay. I, I I've was never personally tasted Ian Anderson, so I can't I can't speak to the latter. <laughs> um, well, I- interesting. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, I really like this album so much and and each song while being those individual pieces to get us into late early tall they all flow together like they all feel like this album fits so well it just jibes well even if we just take those first two songs they they i mean i we kind of already said this but they form such a delightful contrast yeah and it and it's like it's like it's like here's your rock and roll and here's your folk rock mm-hmm. and they're on the same plate. Yeah. Take a bite of this, take a bite of this. This song is almost like a uh, like a palate cleanser in a way. Yeah, it's not it has a very d- distinct sound, but it's it feels like it's not committing too much to anything. It's light. Yeah, and it's certainly it's a lot lighter than our previous Jeffrey. Yes. That was a, a a punch in the face. This is this is the other side of Jeffrey, maybe, you know? Yes. Yes. That was Jeffrey in a bar fight and this is Jeffrey the next day walking in the park. This is this is contemplative semi philosophical Jeffrey Hammond Hammond. Yeah. I know it sounds like we're just joking about it, but yeah, I mean I think that's a, a really good way to look at it. Right. Well, I mean we we've sort of discussed how possibly Jeffrey Hammond Hammond functioned as a what's the word I'm looking for a, a, a touchstone perhaps for Ian Anderson or almost a um a vicarious other other self yeah vicarious is the word that I would use from from what I've read and from what I'm I'm getting from these songs and so this is such an interesting thing to to attribute to Jeffrey and actually, you know what? Now that I think about it, I'm thinking about a song from Michael Collins, Jeffrey and Me. And that's later it on. It is. Yeah. It, that's um, on I think benefit. benefit. Yeah. When you listen to those three kind of chronologically, like it's a beautiful arc, like song for Michael Collins, Jeffrey and Me is beautiful. It's slow. Yeah. It's, yeah. That's like quite haunting. Yeah. It's really interesting to look at these as they progress. And I'm sure we'll do it once we get into benefit. But looking at them uh, all together, it's it's a nice little little triptych. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Anything else that we want to discuss about this? 
If this song were an activity that you would play in a park, Ooh. what activity would it be? Hmm. Like one of those mini kites. Okay. Like I like, I think flying flying a mini kite, or or like having a shandy and just like l- looking at the clouds and people. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's definitely a people watching song. It's very much a people watching song, but but it's con- it's very it's so contemplative. That's why that's why I feel like the kite flying works. Yeah, because it's like you you have your your focus on something which is far away, but you're connected to it in this tenuous way. You have this tenuous relationship with it. And I I like that it's a miniature one because it's it's easier to stay in your own world. You know, you're less yeah. interfering with other people if it's if it's one of the smaller ones. Yes. Yeah, I I, I like the the kite, a kite and a shandy. Kite and a shandy. Yeah. A pigeon and a poke. Oh, a pig and a poke. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> What's a poke? I believe it's a, a a name for the the sty for where they they um they reside. Yeah. Huh. We're going to do a little etymology right now. This is live etymology. Welcome to Etymology Live. Oh my god, if you want to do a an etymology podcast, oof. Six words enter, 175 leave. I love etymology. A pig in a poke is something that is bought or accepted without knowing its value or seeing it first. Because a poke is a kind of a sack, isn't it? I think that's what it is. You buy a pig in a sack. And so it's like, then the person selling it to you is like, it's a really great pig in here. And you're like, I bet it is, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, that sounds correct. Yeah, it's a confidence trick. Oh, and it's, it. there's an equivalent idiom called sell a pup or buy a pup. It's a confidence <laughs> trick originating in the late Middle Ages when meat was scarce but cats and dogs were not. Ooh. Yeah. Wow. We went down the rabbit hole with this one. The bag sold unopened would actually contain a cat or dog, which is substantially less valuable as a source of meat. Instead of uh, piglet. Piglet, yeah. I, I have a... F- like, wouldn't you... Couldn't you tell? Oh, no, I guess if, they, if it was a dead animal... Right. Yeah. Right. I don't know why wow. I was. Wow. How naive. I was like, oh, it's a live animal. You'll just hear it. It's making noise. <laughs> it's sleep. It's sleeping. Nick. It's, it's why you, very tired. Why would you buy a pet in a bag? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Poke comes from the French origin of P-O-Q-U-E. Oh, like a pocket. Poke. Yep. Its diminutive is formed by adding et or et on the end, which is pocket, which is small bag. Yeah. The full maxim is don't buy a pig in a poke. Don't buy a pig in a poke. Yep. Take it out of the poke. Always check your poke. Moral of the story. Is that a pig in your poke? Or Or are you just malnourished? (laughs) Or are you you just puppy to see me? (laughs) Uh, we can't do any better this, than that. That was this ends the sends the curious meats portion of the podcast. 
Oh, fun. Would you like to know a fun fact? I. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I needed to recover. That was, I don't, I've... that was so good. I've been, uh, I've been 99% vegetarian since I moved back to New York. Did you find another piece of jerky in your bag? No, I had some chicken tacos last night. Oh, were they, were they street tacos? No, they were at a bar and they were thoroughly underwhelming. They were like, they were like just barely okay. Yeah, that sucks. It did. I was like, yeah, I was like, I'm going to buy meat at a restaurant after like two weeks of not eating meat. Oh, it's this? <laughs> well, it bar tacos. Well, some of them, I mean, it, they could have been good. <laughs> but they weren't. <laughs> but in fact, they were not. But yeah, no, I've been vegetarian besides those, besides those. But I'm not like, I'm, I'm not, I don't identify as a vegetarian, obviously. I just. You're on, you're on the, the food spectrum. I'm on this. I'm on the food spectrum. Yeah. Yes. Um, so that was Jeffrey goes to Leicester Square. <laughs> Unless you have anything else you want to you want to throw in there. No, no, no. I do not. Yeah. So that was uh, that was Jeffrey goes to Leicester Square. Oh, did I did I tell you? That despite my best efforts, my mother found out about this podcast. <laughs> I didn't know that you were making efforts, first of all. And two, well, no, you, di- you didn't tell me that she found it. Does she Google you regularly? Is that how? I know. No, um, it was let slip uh, um, by my girlfriend. She let it slip. Does she listen to this? Oh, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. That's the curse of every, um, every audiobook narrator and podcaster is your, your significant other does not listen to your, your content. Huh. It's true. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. I think I've heard Neil Gaiman say that before. About your mom? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Uh, So what does your mom think? I've. She hasn't, to my knowledge, listened to it. Oh, she's just aware of it now. She's aware of its existence, yes. Does she do podcasts? Um, She listens to audiobooks. Okay. And I have told her that, I've told her about the existence of podcasts. Well, I am I am her youngest son, so, I mean, it makes sense for her to be listening to, <laughs> listening to both of us talk. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah, we'll have to do a segment. We'll have to get her on here and um and get her reaction. That would be awesome. Stuff. Yeah, just her her thoughts on Tull in general. I've I've never, despite us talking about Tull pretty much eighty percent of the Constantly, time that we yeah. were at your house in high school, we never got her opinion. She's definitely listened to, to Jethro Tull. May I tell you a quick anecdote? Please. <laughs> um, I have a distinct memory of going to the mall. Uh, with my mother and um, and Al, my stepdad, uh, because I was very excited to go to Barnes and Noble and get a new CD of Jethro Tull, and and I went in and I bought, um, I believe it was Songs from the Wood. Good purchase. Yes, it, yes, indeed it was. And on the and I was so excited about it that I couldn't I couldn't wait till I got home to listen to it. So I I popped it into the 
the CD drive, what do they call it? The CD player in the in the Subaru on the way back to Mexico, New York. And um, in one of those first tracks, there's a, I forget what it's called, but there's a there's a percussion instrument that you you whack it, a, a, a vibraphone, a vibra, a vibra slap. There's the use of a vibra slap. It's one of those things you hit and it goes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's one of those in, the, in one of those first tracks. And my stepdad was, I think, driving. And that part of the track played. And he looked all around him. And he was like, what was that? Oh I think that we hit something. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, that hell. was in the music. And he was like, no, no. I think that we hit a stick. It's like, no, no. No, it's just the prog rock. It's just the prog rock filling the Subaru. <laughs> we hit, we hit some, we hit some prog rock. We hit it. We hit a nasty patch of prog. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's a delightful story. I'm shocked it has taken twenty years for you to tell me that story. I was waiting for the right moment. <laughs> wow, you really you held on to it. And, I did. Um, that was. Um, it's been burning a hole in my pocket this whole time. <laughs> it's uh what's what's the marshmallow experiment? It's um Oh. It, it's uh delayed satisfaction? That's it. That's it. Yeah. Great. That was a satisfactory story. <laughs> and it was it was delayed. It was very delayed. Nick. Yeah. What song are we going to be talking tall to you about next week? Oh gosh, that next song is beret? Ooh, yeah, it's a classic. Super, like in on so many levels, it is a classic. Yes, so many levels. But that's it for this week. You'll have to come back in a week to hear us talk about Tall, about beret specifically, the third song off of Stand Up. Do the thing with the podcasts. Jeffrey's going to go to iTunes and rate, review, and subscribe. Until until next week, I'm Nick. And I'm Omen. And we are Feckless Momes. And this has been Talk Tell to Me. Oh, hey there. Talk Tell to Me is a proud member of the Feckless Momes Audio Network.